I think for me going from, you know, competing at the Olympic games where you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, they're cheering for you, they're rooting you on, you have that support and, and you're standing up there and it's all amazing. And then it's kind of like the next day, there's nothing. We're gonna go out on the field. We're gonna score as many goals as we can. We're gonna have fun. Oh, Becky, well placed. Gymnastics is quite simply in a tier of its own. The average retirement age, approximately 17 to 25, is one of, perhaps the youngest, of elite competitive sports. Gymnasts have to possess all the qualities of your, quote, average athlete, things like strength and aerobic fitness. But then you add in this whole other unparalleled element, the refinement and execution of technical skills. Hours of mastering bar routines and floor routines and beam routines leads to a high rate of overuse injuries. Failing to master these skills can lead to acute, serious injuries. Gymnastics is considered one of the world's most dangerous sports. So the sport is already this outlier. But then, female gymnastics specifically, in the U.S., I'm going to say specifically, turns up the extreme factor just a bit more. First, plain and simple, female gymnasts peak younger than their male counterparts. So, they retire younger. There's that. According to Forbes, gymnastics joins track and swimming as the most popular summer Olympic sport to watch in the U.S. However, female gymnastics once again rises to the top. Every four years, millions of Americans glue their eyes to their TVs to watch a special group, anointed with names like the Magnificent Seven and the Fierce Five. And for over two decades now, when we tune in, we expect our country's cohort to prove they are the best in the world. Number one, you are not a red-blooded American, of course, if you do not salivate at the thought of that. In 2012, 38.7 million watched the U.S. women's gymnastics team take home gold in London. The media has grabbed on to the attention these young women most of them teenagers, consistently garner, and they have ran with it. The previews, the recaps, the highlights, they're everywhere. Billboards and magazine covers. For a few short months, these athletes become household names. The spotlight is blinding. There's this idea, articulated by people way smarter than me that I can't find the exact source of after much research, that extremes can help us better understand the constitutive qualities of a phenomenon on a given spectrum. Magnification, after all, is about bringing into focus the hazy. It can establish a reference point that helps identify the things that we might find hard to articulate in our own lives. Extremes can help us see the joys, the pitfalls, the essence of an experience. 
And now we add our final pinch of extreme to the pot for this episode. Shannon Miller is the most decorated U.S. gymnast, man or woman, of all time, having racked up a staggering 16 world championship and Olympic medals in her senior international elite career. She was a member of the legendary 1996 U.S. gymnastics team, dubbed the Magnificent Seven, that went on to deliver the country's first ever gymnastics team gold medal. Miller is the only woman to be inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame twice. Extreme. So now, the scene is set. That's the sound of me clapping hands with proverbial chalk. This is the story of Shannon Miller. So I started when I uh, was five years old, really just coming off of dance with my sister. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what kind of dance you do at four years old, but I loved it. And mostly I loved being with my sister. So for me, that was whatever she wanted to do. I wanted to do that as well. And she kind of was thinking about this gymnastics thing. My parents saw us trying to do flips at home on the furniture and decided that we were going to get hurt or we, we were going to ruin their furniture, one or the other. Either way, it was not a good move. So they signed us up for gym classes, and I just fell in love from day one. Um, she actually ended up going to swimming several months later, but I was head over heels in love. The idea of going in a gym, flipping around, uh, you know, jumping into a big foam pit, it just couldn't get any better. And so um, my coach would eventually ask if I could go more hours. And at the start, my parents said no. They said, no, one hour a week is plenty. We don't need to do any more than that. And I begged and begged. And finally, my dad said, okay, I will take her and she'll get bored with it soon and it'll be no problem. And of course, you know, 20 years later, I was still doing it, but, um, but I loved it. And I grew up in the sport. Um, really, I just, I kind of assumed everyone was doing their after school sport. I went to public school. I went to gym afterwards and, um, not that every day was a piece of cake, but I really just enjoyed going to the gym and having the opportunity to learn a new skill all the time. It was just a lot of fun for me. That early love an incredible work ethic some great coaches and the support of her parents. Throw in a wee bit of natural talent too. Miller's gymnastics career quickly took off. Starting in the early 1990s, there was no more dominant gymnast in the world. She racked up five medals at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. In 1994, she became the first American to win back-to-back all-around titles at the World Championships. Her success led those to draw comparisons to Nadia Comaneci. In 1996, Miller solidified her legendary status and was thrust into a frenzy of media attention unlike ever before as the U.S. gymnastics team went on to defeat the Russians and clinch gold for the first time ever at the Atlanta Olympics. Here, Miller would go on to compete in her last Olympic event an event that she really thought was going to be her last competitive one ever. <laughs> I, I remember every single moment of my final Olympic beam routine, my final Olympic routine that was in 1996, of course. It ended on a good note, which was lovely. She became the first American to win the balance beam final at the Olympics. But um, I did. Um, truly believe that that was my last, not only Olympic, but 
routine, my last competitive routine when I walked up to that balance beam uh, that final night. And for me, I think that was just bittersweet because I loved competition. I loved gymnastics, but um, at the same time, it was kind of the culmination of, of all of that hard work. So it was exciting to have that opportunity to compete at event finals at an Olympic Games. Um, I, now, I did uh, <laughs> end up trying to make a comeback uh, four years later in, in 2000. Um, did not make the team, so it did end up being my final Olympic routine. So there was a last. The end was abrupt in a way, thinking about the Olympic stage, what she emerged from. But at the same breath, Miller kind of had this unique stepping down ring by ring transition back to normal life. I guess the good part for me was it wasn't a very specific cutoff. Um, after my final beam routine, it, it, I went on tour for almost a year, maybe even over a year with the rest of my teammates. We got to do gymnastics all across the country. Um, it wasn't competitive, but we had so much fun just doing gymnastics, and that's what we really loved. So at least I had that opportunity to tour really for years. And I even had the opportunity to compete at uh, the World University Games, which was incredible. And that happened after the Olympics. Then had that opportunity to kind of make a comeback in 2000 and still toured um, after that for a number of years. And it was during this de-escalation, this release from the hand that was her gymnastics life, that Miller came back to or maybe just grew stronger in realizing something. She absolutely loved this sport. I think what I found out really was I just loved doing gymnastics. I loved the skills. I loved performing. So whether I got a score or uh, a cheer from the audience, as long as I could kind of go out and do what I loved, that was enough. Clear cutoff or phasing out, nothing could erase the reality of Miller losing something that was huge to her, something that had been a part of her world since she was five years old. As far as I think your identity and my sense of self, as I as I adjusted to, to life outside of gymnastics, I... I'm so glad that you're doing this podcast. I'm so glad that we're talking about this more because I don't think there's enough discussion on that transition from elite Olympic college professional athletes to kind of back to, I guess, what we would consider as, as kind of normal life. And it is hard. I think for me going from, you know, competing at the Olympic games where you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, they're cheering for you, they're rooting you on, you have that support and, and you're standing up there and it's all amazing. And then it's kind of like the next day, there's nothing. Um, the next day, everything changes. And it's not maybe quite as abrupt as that, but it's pretty abrupt. Um, I went from you know competing as part of a team, whether it was for the US team, whether it was my local team, um, to really not ever seeing my team. There was no reason to go into the gym because I wasn't a gymnast anymore. So you didn't see your, your team, your family that you'd grown up with and come to depend on your coaches. You had 40, I had 40 plus hours a week of time that I needed to fill. And I really wasn't sure what I should do during that time. There was no place I was expected to be didn't have new skills to learn. I didn't have new goals. And I think for me, um, also add to that, I, I moved away from home uh, to continue with my college education. So even my home life changed dramatically. 
There were a few things, though, that provided an anchor in this sea of change. Are you listening, folks? Turn up your volume. So I think for me, um, it was a it was a big transition, but I did have education as that fallback, as that constant in my life. And I think that was incredible foresight um, <laughs> from my parents. When I was growing up in gymnastics, um, gymnastics was never life. It was never about, okay, your life is focused solely on gymnastics. It was, no, life is life. Gymnastics is a sport, and that's great, and we'll support you, but... Did you get your homework done? How'd you do on your math test? Have you done your chores? Um, all of those things. And so I had that to kind of come back to. And since I had started on my college uh, degree, even prior to the 96 games, I was able to kind of continue with that. And at least it was some, some constant in my life. And I think that helped to some degree, but I do think there needs to be more resources available. There's no handbook for how to handle that transition after after you retire, especially at a young age. And maybe there needs to be a handbook. There needs to be resources available to athletes even before they retire so that we start thinking about it ahead of time and, and get that support that we need after the fact. In the show, we've talked a little about how the way a career finishes, what pivotal event marks the end, can affect retirement and the moving on process. Miller has a pretty interesting insight into this topic because she has experienced competitive career endings that are really on both ends of the spectrum. You're not always going to leave the sport, any sport, the way you want. And, and maybe you will in the best case scenario, but if there is an injury that forces you out, if there's um, something beyond your control, whether you don't make the team. And I've kind of experienced both. I've kind of <laughs> retired on on great terms, and then I retired on not so great terms as far as uh, you know not making the team and and combine that with an injury. Some of the elements of sports today, about society today, Miller notes have perhaps made it easier for retired athletes. These can help individuals find their footing and start that next chapter feeling like they have worth that they have community outside of their sport. Yeah, I do think um, things have changed a little bit in the support and the camaraderie that you can have, and a lot of that is due to uh, being able to connect to people. I mean, I think about when I grew up in the sport, we didn't have cell phones, barely had internet. <laughs> so most people can't even, most young athletes can't even fathom not having social media. And it really has changed the game as far as being able to connect to your teammates and stay involved with what you're, they're doing and stay involved with what's going on in the sport even. Even if you're not in the gym every day, you can almost feel like you're right there with all of your friends and your teammates. And that's, I think, a really important part is just being able to talk with and connect with all of those people that you've bonded with over something very specific and very special. I think that's really important, especially when you're talking about being able to bond with not only those athletes that you see every day in the gym, but those athletes around the world that um, you become friends with and you want to keep those friendships going. Another thing that has changed is that more knowledgeable training and injury prevention, strength and conditioning and nutrition advances, these cool products of modernity, have made it so more and more gymnasts, at least, aren't retiring as teenagers. They're still going to be leaving the sport young, but those few years can make a difference when we're thinking about the malleability of young adults. 
Well, I think I think it has changed quite uh, quite a bit since the '90s. Um, I mean, '90s we were we were pushing 19 and, and being considered, um, you know, the the veterans and the, the older ones on the team. But now athletes are regularly competing into their 20s. So I think that's been um, healthy for the sport. Athletes are regularly competing. Uh, gymnasts are regularly competing in multiple. Olympic Games. So that's really, really cool to see. But I do think, you know, regardless, there does come a day when <laughs> you will retire. And that's never easy. The young age of retirement is a unique factor in gymnastics. And that poses both pros and cons. I think on the one hand, you don't know as much about life and you don't know as much about the world out there and all of the different things that you can do, the opportunities that lie ahead. And especially if you've been solely focused on one sport and one goal, then it, it can be um, a significant challenge. But on the other hand, I think retiring at a young age does give you that ability to kind of look at retirement not as the end of something, but as the beginning of the next really awesome chapter <laughs> in your life. Mm -hmm. And you can utilize all of these amazing life lessons um, and skills that you learn through sport and apply that to your next endeavor, whatever that might be, whether it's with family, uh, community service, your next job, school, whatever it is, if you, can, if you can transition all of those skills that you've learned through sport into your next goal, uh, that's a pretty amazing place to be at such a young age. Miller is now a mom and a wife. She is spearheading a number of business ventures, including her health and fitness brand, Shannon Miller Lifestyle. She is the president of the Shannon Miller Foundation, an organization dedicated to fighting childhood obesity. She really just has a lot of exciting things going on right now, and a few guiding principles have been key for her in the post-gymnastics chapter. I think probably the values that I learned from my parents and, and also, as I spoke about, a lot of the life lessons that are learned through sport have been incredibly valuable, whether it's in business endeavors, but also with family, life in general. And those are all you know, things like goal setting and perseverance, um, a work ethic, a strong work ethic, a positive mindset, um, the value of, of working with a team, the value of teamwork. And uh, what my parents spoke often about was a commitment to excellence. And they always pointed out that a commitment to excellence isn't about being perfect. It's about not about you know never making a mistake, never having a bad day. It's just about giving it 100%, no matter how big or small the task. Just go out and give it your best, and that's your win. So whatever the scoreboard says doesn't matter. If you went out and did your very best, that's your win. And so I kind of take that over into um, life in general and in my work. And I think the other part um, that I really focus on, and, and this really comes from sport. I mean, one of my favorite things about competing in gymnastics, about representing my country, was that I got to do something I loved and make people smile. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty, pretty awesome thing. And for people to still come up to me to this day and talk about where they were and what they were doing when our team went gold and or when I landed my dismount off the balance beam in 96. That's an amazing thing. So I feel like if I go out each day, and whether it's in my, my company or my foundation or just with my family, if I can go out each day and 
help someone smile, that's a that's a pretty incredible thing to be able to do. There is a 100% chance Shannon Miller made me smile on the day of our call and the rest of the days I edited this episode, but I know that my voice never sounds like I'm smiling. In terms of other things that make me smile, though, children. Miller has a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, and they flex that athletic DNA they have in them a little. My kids don't compete in anything yet, but they play a variety of sports, and I don't think they've either of them have really found one thing that they just, oh, they're so passionate about. Like I found gymnastics and I was so head over the heels passionate about it. I just didn't want to do anything else. It's all I wanted to do. And that never waned. Um, with, with my kids, I can tell they, they want to try things out and mm -hmm. they really kind of just enjoy every activity and every sport that they do. As long as they can get out and move, they're kind of excited. So, um, so those are the kind of the, the things I follow is, you know, hey, get the foundation, learn, learn how to play the game and, and then go out there and give it your all and the competition will come. You'll have plenty of years to, to compete and to play in tournaments and do all those things. But right now, let's just learn to play. She cuts this like chill, level headed figure who I, I don't think that I would freak out at if she tried to approach me after a game as a child. Or like I'm not being distracted by any sort of loud comments from the peanut gallery or seeing her barge up and down the sidelines of the clipboard, you know? I want them, I think my parents, I will, you know, selfishly, I think they did a pretty good job, but <laughs> um, what I do, they, they were incredibly supportive, um, not pushy, but also helped me understand a commitment. So it's not that we want our kids to just kind of, oh, the going get, got tough, and so now I'm going to change. Um, my parents wanted me to understand, okay, I've made a commitment, you know, whether that's a, they've paid for lessons and there's a financial commitment, or, you know, I've committed to one season with the team. So we're going to, you know, barring any, any you know, major issues um, that you would take them out for, um, injuries or anything like that, it's let's finish that commitment. And then if you want to choose to do something else, great. But we don't just stop because it got tough or um, because you want to stay home and watch TV, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, kind of having those values built in, but also really just learning to love being physically active is so important. And studies show that the more physically active you are as a child, the more physically active you will be as an and that's really important because the opposite is also true. The approach of prioritizing learning to love being active that she has taken with her kids is a really important lesson and idea she pushes for on a bigger scale in her charity work and activism. I'm a big proponent of um, youth sports, of physical activity for kids. My foundation is, is really based on physical activity for kids and, and kind of the, that angle to the fight against childhood obesity and, and kind of the, the issues that can, can come with that into adulthood, but also the values and the lessons that the sports can bring. So, um, so I, I love sports for kids, but I'm also a big proponent of um, getting them to learn the fundamentals, kind of the foundation of sport. How do you play? Move your body. Um, mm. so how how do how do you compete? What does that what does that mean? What does that look like? Where do I stand? You know, all of those little things 
versus actually just going out and competing. Being a vocal advocate, standing at the forefront to speak, they might be traits that describe Miller now, but they certainly did not define her as a gymnast. A major shift occurred eight years ago when she was delivered devastating news. I was diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer in early 2011, and I, you know, for those that follow my career, know that I was extremely, <laughs> extremely shy growing up. Um, doing interviews were often one-word answers, if not nodding my head, yes or no. <laughs> and so for, the, for me, the idea of being so public and being very open talking about my ovaries was not, not exactly um, in my life plan. But after the diagnosis, I just felt like here I was, someone who was in the health industry. My company is based on this mission to help women make their health a priority. That's what we do day in and day out. And here I was having these symptoms that I completely disregarded, had no idea that they had anything to do with ovarian cancer. And that, and that ovarian cancer could strike at such a young age. I had no idea. And so I thought, you know, if, if there's something that I can use my platform for, it's getting out awareness about the signs and symptoms of a cancer that is often going undetected until later stages. And so it was kind of that, that changed my mindset that said, you know what? I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to be as vocal as I can about it and, and help women know what to watch for and just remind, continue to remind them and myself of the importance of getting to those exams and really just being our own best health advocates. And so that's kind of um, what I've been doing. And I think all of those lessons that I learned through sports helped me, particularly during chemotherapy. Um, that's an extremely trying time for uh, the patient, but also family. So understanding and, and re reapplying that idea of teamwork. Very different team, a lot more medical staff on this team, but you know, idea of teamwork and that I didn't have to do this alone. I had all of this support and the positive mindset and all of those things that come through sport was really, really important. Seven months after being diagnosed with ovarian cancer, Miller was given a clean bill of health in September 2011. In considering the scary transition and time of uncertainty that may lie ahead for athletes facing retirement, Miller emphasized setting goals, utilizing the athlete work ethic, and the community that comes through sending so much of your life in sport. But this was a bit that really stood out to me. Find a mentor. Find someone in your sport and find someone out of your sport that can mentor you along the lines of, of what you want to pursue, whether that's business, whether that's um, more school, whatever that is. Have someone that's been there, done that, mentoring. I think the important thing about mentors is um, you have to find a variety. Don't just have one and don't just have it be someone in your sport or in that um, that realm that you want to go into. I think it's important, um, especially when you when you go into anything with regard to, to business, which is almost everything, uh, has some kind of business application. Um, you find mentors that even if they're in a completely different business segment, they will still have incredible ways to mentor you and they'll get you thinking outside the box, which is really important as well. Shannon Miller's incredible life gives us a window into stark transitions, 
into what happens when you've accomplished so much, captivated the attention of millions of people by the time you're just 23. A window into what it means to keep on leading an impactful, fulfilling life after an end to an extreme. Thank you to Shannon Miller for coming on to the podcast, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.